To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have on Jason Castaneda. Uh, Jason's uh, hugely successful on both elk and mule deer uh, and also blacktail deer. So I haven't done many blacktail podcasts, but it kind of comes from my roots as I come from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, so we discuss some of the options for blacktail, and there's a bunch of over-the-counter opportunities. So if you don't draw a tag, this would be a chance for you. Or even if you do, I always say different species in different habitats improves your skill set. And so the more diverse animals that you can hunt, the better overall hunter you become. So um, definitely apply a lot of this to elk and mule deer hunting as that's where a lot of my experience comes from. But it just made for this great conversation as Jason has some great blacktail grounds that he hunts. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think you guys will enjoy it too. We'll get right into the podcast here. I just want to thank a couple sponsors. I want to thank Savage Arms. Savage makes the best out-of-the-box accurate rifles made. Uh, these things are uh, shoot great groups for uh, an over-the-counter rifle. And so, um, man, I, I got this new rifle. I got it all set up. I had it sighted in and set up within a handful of shots. It got along with couple different ammos I tried with it so just really impressed at these rifles they have a bunch of different models uh, all that can fit your needs and requirements and personal preferences so the one around the office the guys really like is the 110 ultralight uh, this rifle comes with an adjustable stock where you can adjust the length of pole, you can adjust the comb height, it comes with an trigger, so you can adjust and lighten up the trigger on your own and don't have to take it to a gunsmith. Um, just a real accurate rifle that you can customize uh, to fit your frame and fit your shooting style. So uh, super accurate. They have a bunch of different models in there as well as budget models uh, that are going to be just as accurate and um, will um, fit the wallet. So uh, you can check them out at Savage Arms. Uh, a bunch of different calibers, everything you need. A great rifle company and a great shooting rifle. I also want to thank Method Archery. So Method Archery was formerly Vector Archery. Uh, it's it's run and owned by the same owners. Uh, they had a bigger arrow company that came in and started a suit with the name, and so uh, it was just easier to change the name to Method Archery. Uh, they have a bunch of new offerings in these arrows. So I just got these new arrows. I just took these to Australia. Uh, they perform flawlessly for me. I can't wait for bear season. Got them all tuned in. But they have a bunch of options for... Um, smaller profile veins, higher profile veins. They have all the popular colors, so I went with that hot green color. It's actually called yellow, and it's a pretty neon color that shows up really good on game animals. So I was able to see all my hits with those things, track the arrow in air, and they also do a custom dynamic spine. So you enter in all the specifics for your bow, for your draw length, for your point weight, and they punch it into the computer and come up with a dynamic spine that perfectly matches the performance of your bow. So in turn, you get a more accurate, forgiving arrow. Uh, great components. The front end components are rock solid, always spin true for me. I can shoot them into a concrete wall, screw in a new tip, and those things are good to go. So really stout, uh, good consistent knocking point, good construction of the fletchings and veins. So uh, I'm just super impressed by this company. They've been shooting great for me the last couple years. And like I say, I'm really impressed with this order that I just got. They have the uh, the the HMR and also the ZMR. The HMR comes in a bit heavier. The ZMR comes in a bit lighter. The ZMR seems to be a better fit for Western hunting, but it's all personal preference and uh, what you prefer to shoot. Uh, so if you're in the market for some new arrows, make sure to go check them out over at Method Archery. 
I also want to thank Black Ovis. Black Ovis is an internet retail shop that has uh, absolutely everything you need for the next hunt. They have all the top name brands as well as their own name brand. Uh, they do a great job in there with the knowledgeable staff, can answer all your questions. They also do rewards, so when you purchase something from them, you get points. One point equals one dollar that you can use on future purchases. Um, yeah, great company. Uh, like I say, my buddies have been using their name brand for um, their puffy pants and sleeping bags, and those are high quality as well. And um, so you can get everything you need off this internet retail shop and get it shipped right to your door. Uh, so make sure to go check them out over at blackovis.com. Also check out Camo Fire. Camo Fire is an app where you can get some great deals on top-end hunting gear. So uh, they carry the top brands, and basically they have 80 new hunting deals that come up every 24 hours. So you get on there, and you can save a pile of money uh, through this app on top name brand gear. So uh, check those guys out over at CamoFire.com. Over at Eastman's, um, we've just been working away. we got some um, good articles coming out in the magazines. Eastman's Hunting Journal, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. And check those out. I've got a new elk article that I'm writing for the Eastman Hunting Journal and just came out with a bear article in the last Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. So really proud at how those come out. Um, great staff articles in there. We pour our heart and soul, try to share all the secrets that help make us successful. Great subscriber stories. And um, great gear reviews. Uh, they're just rock-solid magazines. Each magazine has six, issue, six issues per year, 12 issues total, so you can check those out. Check out our Beyond the Grid or Internet TV show. Just search Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube. You can find that. We always have new episodes coming out. And um, I've got some new ones this year that I'm really proud of uh, that should be releasing soon and some great hunts from last year that you can check out. Uh, also, find us on the Outdoor Channel. Uh, we also have uh, um, Eastman's Mule Deer course, which uh, me, Dan Bacar, and Guy Eastman put together. Uh, it's everything I've learned about hunting mule deer the last 20 years or 25 years of traveling the West. It's got all different kinds of habitats, all different seasons, uh, different weapon choices. Um, it's laid out in a video format that you can easily walk through. And seriously, guys, I think you cut years off your learning curve of hunting mule deer um, by using this program. So you can check that out, Eastman's Mule Deer School. Put in the promo code BRIAN. That'll save you 10% on it. And uh, also check out TagHub. TagHub is our internet research tool. Um, you can also get a free subscription to Mountain Tough Fitness by putting in the promo code BRIAN. And um, that'll that'll save you a bit on it, or you get that... Um, the Mountain Tough Fitness, which is a $100 value by um, putting in that promo code. And um, oh, I believe that promo code for the Mule Deer course is BrianMDC as well. Sorry, I've got them all written down here so I can keep them all straight, but you can put in that promo code and save a little money as well. We also have a promo code for that Black Ovis. Uh, put in um, Eastman's 10, and you can save 10% on that. And... Um, Man, with that, just getting back from this epic trip, man, it's um, so awesome to travel down there, spend some really good time with buddies, and chase a couple different species down in Australia. Um, yeah, it was amazing. A lot of travel. I just got home last night, um, but we'll get this podcast out to you, get life back to normal here a bit, make sure I get in my run today, and get the bow out, and make sure the, uh, the uh, airlines didn't toss it around too much, and... Um, yeah, it's all good. I uh, can't wait to share it with you guys. Um, so we'll record a podcast on that. I'll probably record a solo. Uh, just a, a great chance to hunt red deer and sandbar and had uh, great fun with buddies. So um, yeah, just getting recovered from that. But let's um, get into this podcast. It's a great one. Uh, so uh, uh, Jason comes on and um, shares his tips and tactics on blacktails and other species and just made for a great conversation. I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Yep, cool. Well, um, yeah, I just wanted to say that, but we'll get into this podcast. Yeah, blacktails, man. Um, this will be awesome to talk about. Yeah, this has been missing on the podcast. Oh, dude, it's uh, you don't hear very much about it on any podcast. 
Mm-mm. No, um, you sure don't. Uh, blacktails are so fun. I grew up hunting them in western Washington. We I don't want to get into too much before we start the podcast, but um, yeah, I just think it'll make for like awesome content. And then it looks like you hunt some um, uh, elk and mule deer and sheep as well, I saw on your social. Yeah, yeah. My brother-in-law drew a sheep tag a few years back, and we got to do that, and that was so fun, man. <laughs> it's a one of these days <laughs> for me. Yeah, for me too. Yeah, I put in all over the country, including my home state, and yeah, just hoping to draw one of these years and get the opportunity. But it's fun that we get to go oh, yeah. with like our our hunting partners, like your brother, or whatever, just to go experience it with him. But yeah, it looked like an awesome sheep you guys killed. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. That was a South Central unit in in Oregon, so he got pretty lucky with that. Oh, cool. Right on. Um, yeah, yeah. the crazy part is the next year he drew a, a once-in-a-lifetime boost tag in, in Idaho. <laughs> uh, there's something with uh, luck or good karma or something. It's like having the right name and birthday, and you just need to get <laughs> lucky, and some guys are really good at Absolutely. getting lucky. Yeah, I haven't found that yet. <laughs> no, I've drawn some decent tags. I really can't complain too much. Like, uh, they call my number enough to where, um, yeah, I, I can't really say much. But, uh, yeah, some guys do have just amazing luck. Like, uh, gosh, the, um, there's a company. It's a shoe company here in Bozeman. I was talking with that guy. He's a sheep hunter. But, boy, there was one year he drew two, uh, drew two desert sheep hunts. He drew one in Nevada and then one in Arizona. It's just absolutely crazy. Good Lord. Yeah, that's nuts, man. Yeah, he's got all the luck. Um, well, right <laughs> on. Um, anything else that you want to mention or talk about on the podcast that um, I should bring up or steer the direction towards? No, I mean, whatever you want to ask, be, just feel free to ask, honestly. Okay. I'm well, open book. Oh, right on. Yeah, well, we'll get started here. Uh, so I'm just connecting with um, Jason. It's the first time I've had him on the podcast. And uh, you reside in Oregon, right, Jason? Yeah, so I live in Keno, Oregon right now. It's kind of like Klamath Falls, but I'm originally from Northern California. Um, Weed is the little town it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen that, or I've seen it on signs anyways, and always laugh as I go by it. Yeah, and my, my wife grew up in Klamath Falls, so yeah, familiar with the area. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And then... Yeah, I, and then, I actually work right out of Klamath Falls. Oh, you do? Okay, yeah. Nice little yeah. community, it seems like, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's not bad at all. I love it. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so uh, wanted to have you on today. Uh, I don't think I've ever talked about blacktails on the podcast, and I I don't hear about it very much. And I just think like these uh, different species in different habitats like really improves your skill set. And those Colombian blacktails are sure tough to hunt. Yeah, it's uh, it's a. Uh... It's definitely a different hunt than a than a than a standard mule deer hunt. You could say it's a just from the vegetation. Um, the altitude's way different. It's way lower. I mean, you can get up into. We have a couple peaks in Northern California. One that hits, you know, maybe nine two, uh, but you don't get any any thirteen thousand feet like you would back in Colorado or anything like that. Yeah, they're a real coastal deer. That's like one of the things that makes them real difficult, right, is that they, they live in a bunch of cover. At least, like, I I grew up hunting them, and so it's, like, near and dear to my heart when you say blacktails because that's um, what I grew up hunting as a kid, and we lived in western Washington, and so it, they definitely live in, like, a coastal environment. And I know that kind of changes as you drop down into California a bit, but uh, they seem to like those coastal mountain ranges, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. It's like a, it's a different, it's a different area than than Western Washington. Like Western Washington is thick and rugged. Like it is, that place is steep and rugged. Northern California is steep and rugged like that, but you get a little bit away from the coast and you get those, those high mountain basins like you would actually hunt in back in Colorado or something like that. And it's, it's a lot different than a lot of people think. Um, it's, it's a lot of timbered hills, grassy hills, stuff like that, but it's it's steep. You're backcountry hunting just like you would in, in Wyoming or Colorado. And it's um these deer are a lot different than your your normal western Washington deer. The the blacktails down here, a lot of people would call them bench lake, but they're they're blacktail. I mean, it's it's a it's blacktail, but they don't get the size they would in in western Washington like yeah. 
Um, a guy I know, Stephen Solo, Ryan Gaither up there, he kills blacktail that are 250 pounds. I mean, they're giant, giant blacktail. And I think probably the biggest blacktail I killed, it was a, it was a 170 inch blacktail, but it was only maybe field dressed. It may have weighed 165. Hmm. Wow, it's weird how there's different subspecies. Like I find that with muleys as well. As like some muleys will go upwards of two fifty, three hundred pounds even, and then other ones will go one hundred and sixty pounds. My biggest buck, a two hundred and ten inch muley, couldn't have weighed over one hundred and sixty pounds. He just had a tiny body on him. But there are different subspecies of that deer. But having a hundred and seventy inch rack, that's incredible for a blacktail. Look. Yeah, and it's it's exactly that. It's exactly what you say. People people think blacktail and immediate immediately think of say like a like a sick of blacktail or a true Columbia blacktail where you're only going to get like you know a 120 inch buck is an amazing buck. And don't get me wrong, a 120 inch blacktail down here is a great buck as well. But I mean, we Northern California grows some really really big blacktail. Man, I would say yeah, it's um. It's similar, like, um, the hunting style's different in, in western Washington, and I actually have some spots, like, in the Cascades that I've been dying to get back to that's, like, that mountain terrain that you're talking about that's, like, hunting high country muleys in a coastal mountain range with alpine basins and, you know, definitely some more timber and more cover and things, but these blacktails will live in these Cascades, and, you know, I used to, uh, my dad and my uncles would take me backpacking into that country as a kid, and so I've always been dying to get Get back there and plan a hunt it just happens to take place like during that muley early season and i haven't made the time but i sure need to because it would just be like this amazing experience up there to be able to backpack into some of that country that i hunted as a kid and and there's some great blacktails in there now i don't think we ever killed one that was 170 inch like you say about 120 inches tops my grandpa has one that's 145 that i had mounted for him or that uh, me and my dad my uncle had mounted for him uh, before he passed he was a great blacktail hunter um, but yeah most of our deer are in that range like you say when they start getting big they're 120 to 150 but they grow like a four-point rack like a muley would they're and, and their bodies are weird like man they're just a different deer species like they're darker in color at least the ones i've been around they're almost like black and they're kind of short and stubby like real stocky deer uh they just have such a different look to them what would you say like uh some of the behavior that's different with those black tails so a lot of the behavior like so the way i we target them down here is is the higher elevation and stuff like that but mm -hmm. we hunt a lot of the stuff we hunt is burns um mm -hmm. they they do not stay out as long as a mule deer to feed they a mule deer you know you can catch them you know bedded under rocks or 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 sometimes out in the open like that but blacktail they disappear quick um one one wilderness we hunt in, in particular it those deer literally are like a dark timber deer they love the dark timber and um a lot of the blacktail you see around here is just they they just go towards dark timber that's just what they like and just thick thick vegetation is is, is what they like it's they don't want to be seen, that's for sure. And when a when a blacktail bucket's big enough, man, they go nocturnal. It is, you might get a, a trail cam picture of them at, at maybe one time during a year, and it's in the daytime, and the rest of it's all nocturnal. Mm, man, that's so true. That just uh, like I like I, it's been a while since I've been back and hunted them. Probably since I was twenty years old. But everything you say like holds such weight. You're right. Like uh, I remember. And when I hunt them in western Washington, I like to hunt them in the opening. So I like to hunt them in alder slides. I like to hunt them in clear cuts. Uh, like to hunt them in places I can see. And then also it's a combination of still hunting as well. But yeah, I would see, I would see tracks on the edge of these clear cuts, but very rarely catch those deer out in it. Like it just seems like they were using the, the edges and they were using those clear cuts or alder slides a lot of times using them at night or like you say, first or last light, you may catch them coming out, but they do love the, the old growth. They love like the thick reprod, the logging country. They like cover. They are a ghost, aren't they? 
Oh, absolutely. And it's, it, I mean, if you can catch them in the daylight, you're, you're doing something because it is tough. And, um, like, like I said, the, the main, what I do, not, you know, other people might be different is I try to target burns cause, and they bed in those burns just cause, you know, there's no bugs. And on the coast, there is some bugs. <laughs> Is there? Oh, I, I didn't know. No. So like what like what uh, mosquitoes or black flies or? Um... Oh, absolutely! It is it, when you kill a buck over here. It is there's flies and bees like you would not believe. Oh wow! I had no idea. So um, so they like those burns because they get away from the bugs. It always seems like animals like burns or the edges of burns they almost feel like secure in there they feel like they're in the cover in the timber even though you can glass it it seems to me oh yeah absolutely that's the best part about it is if you're able to glass enough you could as in anything you could you could find some good bucks over here that's for sure yeah um it's there's so many different tactics to hunting and i'm sure like you do have to be good at still hunting as well but Man, there's just like nothing more effective than when you can get a good vantage point and see a lot of country and set up and glass it and do your walking with your eyes. And it's, you know, it it's a bit of a mindset too, you know, is like you have to believe in it and believe in your glass and let your glass do the walking for you. And it's the way you look and think about country as well. Instead of thinking of where there's a real bucky spot that you want to go hunt through, you almost think of like – how can I see that bucky spot? How can I get a vantage on it? And so, you know, it, at least for me, like coming from Western Washington from hunting blacktails and moving to Montana hunting elk and mule deer and then, you know, hunting all over the West, I hunt a lot of open terrain. But I just, um, I started believing in that glassing and like really uh, changed my tactics for it. And I just see more animals and get more opportunity by glassing country. And that's like, I love a master vantage point that shows off a bunch of country, but some of this this terrain, like it, it doesn't lend itself to that. Or sometimes the, the country that you can see, see real easy with the hunting pressure nowadays, like those spots get hit, like any place you can see from a road gets hit. Uh, any place that, you know, is a obvious vantage point that you don't have to hike too far, you know, seems to get hit. And sometimes you can find some sleeper areas, but, um, you know, so I'll use that master vantage point or hike, you know, away from the mountain I want to hunt just so I can see it. Or like a like a mobile vantage point as I kind of like work through country and then just glass every opening I see. But it's definitely a mindset with that glassing, isn't it? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. And the the good part about uh, where I hunt over here in Northern California is there's obviously fire season gets pretty bad up here in the in the um, summertime. But these wildernesses we hunt, they're they're decent sized wildernesses, and you can get away from people. Um, last year I killed my buck. Uh, my blacktail and it was almost 10 miles back and i still i still had forever to go before you hit where you would be where another trail would be impeding where you go and it is rugged country man it is it i mean it it rivals you know central idaho in how rugged it is it is steep and it, you're hunting a lot you're hunting a lot of of uh, rocky cliff banks it's it's a steep area over here Man, it does look like gnarly terrain, like just looking through your photos of that country, hunt of that, that burn country. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I don't think you can, you can do it justice, right? It's as gnarly as any country out west. Those coastal mountains, they will eat you up and spit you out. Like, uh, uh, they just, they build them steep and, uh, like rocky cliff bands, like you're saying. And um, like you say, we say steep, but it's those uh, the drainages and coolies and canyons and creek bottoms are just near vertical. Like it almost gets dangerous. Like in in some of that oh, country, yeah. at least in my experience, so it sounds like you're hunting the same terrain. That's got to be part in part of why you love hunting blacktails is the country they live in and being able to find your own experience back there. Oh yeah, and it's it's some of the be- most beautiful country you'll ever see. It truly is, and. Uh... It's uh, it's fun. It's a poor man's goat hunt, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I love those. Those are the best, right? When uh, I, oh yeah, I, you know it's it's like um, 
it'd be really fun to draw one of these premium tags. And I, I actually had a Shiris Moose tag last year, so I can't complain too much. Yeah, but like it. some of these opportunities for like uh, goats and sheep and things are really fun. But we just those opportunities don't come around every day for you know us blue collar hunters that are trying to play the applications and trying to draw them. And so it is about finding these quality hunts that we can do every year that are packed full of adventure. And it sounds like uh, you have it for these for these blacktails in some of those wildernesses and how nice to get back there and like not see another person or be able to get away from boot tracks and then be able to find some of these deer man it has to be really fun like uh what do you think your average daily sighting is on blacktails and then like what time of year do you hunt them it seems like you hunt them maybe early season up in that high country yeah so our season usually starts the third weekend of august so we're up there pretty early and it's still hot um you know, scouting, you can go up and see 10, 15 bucks a day. I, there was one weekend in three, in three days, uh, my dad and I, we saw, we saw 42 bucks and it was, uh, it was amazing. Now, now that's not to say you're going to do that all the time. Don't get me wrong. And you kind of got to know where to go, but, um, and, and we've seen some big bucks. I'll never forget the first time I ever took my dad back there. We were, we were about seven miles in and, uh, the first buck we spotted, I told him, I was like, hey, come over and look over these rocks. And we looked over these rocks, and there's about 165-inch black or perfect four-point. It's just huge. And the thing about blacktail is the mass that gets you. They're just massive bucks when they get that big. They, It's like they stop growing out and up, and they just get mass. And um, uh, so we hunt them, like I said, we hunt them the third weekend in August, and then so our season, it's a B zone, it's called, and it's a over-the-counter tag, don't have to draw, and encompasses the whole northwest part of the state. And so with that one tag, you can hunt from August, third weekend of August, all the way until about the third week in October. And then it splits, so it goes until about middle of September. You have a week off, and you can start rifle hunting with that same tag. So it's a lot of opportunity. And um, even with the pressure and the opportunity that people have, there's still, I mean, you still have an opportunity to see a giant buck. And we and we do every year. We really do. We we see some really big blacktail. And uh, I have a buddy that killed a, a 179 in, a, in an area that a lot of people hunt. They just, you just got to work for it and you can find them. Man, that is crazy. Like, what great opportunity, especially in today's day and age where tags and hunts are getting tougher to come by, to have that opportunity out there and not many guys taking advantage of it. Uh, that's incredible, man. And it's it really does sharpen your skills when you're able to, to hunt these new habitats or new species, and then you're able to transpose those skills into, into different hunts and different species. Like I saw, you know, it looked like you killed like a great bull. I'm not sure if that was this past year. Um, but but I'm sure those are those skills that you've built from uh, backcountry blacktail hunting that you're able to apply into elk hunting as well. Yeah, and it, it has actually made me a better hunter. Mm -hmm. um, and not that I, I've, I've never killed a you know giant mule deer or anything, but I've killed some decent ones. And it's it's from so I grew up hunting blacktail, and if I grew up hunting a, a bitch leg, you can call it. It's a mule deer and a blacktail kind of kind of mix. And um. I killed my first one when I was 12. I believe I was 12 with my dad. And um, I didn't really go out like true mule deer hunting until I was probably 20 years old. I drew a, a zone in northeastern California. And there's, it's, they're mule deer. They, you know, they, they summer in California and then in the wintertime they drop down in Nevada. And um, the first time I did that, I, I killed a buck on like the third day I was out. And I was like, man, this is easy. But I understand it's not. But I think blacktail has set me up to actually be more effective in other areas, you know, hunting other species as well. It's just because they're so smart. They truly are. And um, just the places they live, is, it's just tough. Man, it sounds like it. Man, you guys are killing some great blacktails out there and seeing some great blacktails. Uh, that's amazing, like the numbers and then the size. And I love what you said about the mass as well. They do seem to get massive as they get older and mass really makes the trophy, doesn't it? It doesn't matter if it's mule deer or elk or blacktails, like I'm sitting in my office as well. And, you know, my heaviest bucks are my best bucks, you know, no matter what they score, you know, it's like that, uh, that mass is so, uh, so key or so clutch, like, uh, for, a for a trophy. So I love that as they get age and it, 
it sounds like the rugged country that those blacktails are living in, like you're able to find that older age class, that heavy buck, and 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 really have a chance at an exceptional blacktail because they're able to grow up and live in that gnarly terrain and not get hunted or shot. Uh, what an amazing opportunity! And I know, like even in Washington, it's same. They have over-the-counter tags, and you can hunt the Cascades, and you can hunt them early with a bow, and then they actually have a late bow season as well. And so uh, I spent time, they had a late bow season, and then they had an extended buck, which was a four-day rifle season that happened uh, right in the rut, right in November there as well. And and November was a bit of the equalizer for those blacktails, as a lot of those big blacktails would, would come out and start chasing does and be seen more in daylight hours and i know you know it it was fun to hunt them early up high in the cascades which is what i'd want to do again in the bachelor herds and try to find a big one doing that uh but boy that that rut's nothing to scoff at either that's pretty fun and brings some big bucks out and brings them out during daylight hours as well oh yeah and and like so i like i said i grew up on northern california but uh southern oregon or oregon in general they have a a late blacktail hunt that you can do and um it goes through the rut all the way into the second week in december and it is fun you see some giant blacktail you really do but those run bucks are tough and that's in that kind of uh environment yeah and that thick terrain right and the ferns and the undergrowth and things it's weird because you um it makes you pay attention to topography more. I know when I was still hunting blacktails and a lot of that cover, like I say, I love alder slides and I love clear cuts, uh, but there was also features like knobs and things where these bucks would just hang or uh, like like almost um, be attracted to. And so I started paying attention more to land features like uh, uh, the slope and which direction it was facing, like knobs, uh, different terrain like that that I would find these blacktails in. Now, do you find that as well as like where you where you find a blacktail, uh, you'll find another one in years future, or are they really random where you're finding them up in that mountain range? No, not necessarily. It's when you say that because like. I've killed big bucks in the past and go back to that same area and the same knob, same, if it's a knob, if it's a, you know, a draw, if it's a, a ridge, you, you find, you find a buck that's taken its place and uh, they definitely are feature oriented in um, a lot of the times where you find one, you find more. And um, it's, it's almost like they run in bachelor groups, but then the big blacktails, like the, the the really older age class ones, man, they are solitary deer. They really are. Oh, gotcha. They run solo. They don't even like having buddies. Yeah, a, a lot of the times. I mean, you can see some big bucks together maybe in, in, in pairs. Like I have seen giants in pairs. But a lot of the times you're just going to see one buck and it's just going to be by himself. And if that buck is taken, the next year you can go back and be like, yeah, well, there's another one. Dude, you got me pumped. I gotta, I gotta get back to my roots and back to those cascades and go do like a big backpacking adventure back there to like some of my old stomping grounds and even further where I want to get where, you know, my family has killed some giant blacktails over the years and, you know, I've killed a couple in my youth, but I got that backpacking for them was so fun. Um, I've got to make the time and get back and go do that again. Um, cause it is a special yeah, place. I've been trying to get you to come out. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I, uh, I have to, it sounds like fun. Um, man, it sounds like you got some, some great spots to hunt those things, man. It has to be so exciting for you for like season to come up and just know that you have a tag and know that you have an opportunity to get in there. And it, it does seem like, you know, it, and it seems like the rules apply to other species in other places, like talking about land features and where those blacktails like. And even when you take a good blacktail out there, like something you said was there's a blacktail that takes his place. And it's the same way with muleys and elk, too. It's like, you know, the the population isn't spread all over throughout the habitat. Like, there's a lot of empty country, even in really good habitat and, and with a decent population. It just seems like these animals get to be in pockets. And it takes, like, a while to figure out where those pockets are. I would think especially tough, like, for blacktails where they are such a ghost that a lot of times you're just seeing tracks or sign and have to realize they're 
they're there and really set up and spend the time looking at it. But I think as you dial in these places and dial in where these critters like in favor, they, you know, where I find a bachelor herd of muley bucks, like I can go back a couple years later and there'll be a bachelor herd of muley bucks working that same terrain a lot of times. And it's just a matter of whether or not I can find, you know, a mule deer that's five or six years old. Like sometimes I'll kill that buck and you go back and then there's just a, bu a bunch of young bucks running in that basin and have to wait for one to grow up again. Uh, but that's so yes. much of hunting, isn't it? It's just like being able to dial in the terrain and figure out the pockets that, that hold critters. So like what are, you know, I'm sure you have like a lifetime of experience that kind of guides you back there. But along with that, I'm sure you continue to explore new terrain like what are you looking for when you're looking for these pockets are you uh just glassing these and scouting glassing these during season paying attention to sign or all of the above or how do you go about it uh well it's a lot of you just you just walk man honest <laughs> to God, you try to get vantage points and you just walk it's a lot of a lot of glassing you're really relying on your glass yeah. um and we run ridges and you just you just run ridges and a lot of the times you find a big track and that could really tell that's a telltale sign of, of being a big deer. But I mean, that deer is going to be there regardless if it's at night or if it's in the daytime, it's going to be there. And you just literally, you just have to walk and run ridges. It, the, the more you get away from people, obviously the more you're going to find deer, but over here, it's like, you really just need to find those solitary little basins. And it's just like hunting back in the, in, in, Colorado, Wyoming, anything like that. You're just hunting high country basins. And um, that's a, the most thing we look for. One thing that could really push a deer out over here is the elk population. It's getting, is getting pretty big. Um, the Roosevelt elk population in that I've seen that in the past few years, really push deer out of areas. Mm -hmm. And uh, if, if a mountain lion get, gets into an area, it's going to kick, kick the population out of there as well. You don't see that too much, but you can tell when there's a cat in an area there, you're not going to see any, any blacktail. Yeah, we have that same thing. Um, I, I don't notice it so much with cats, but I think you're spot on. You know, I think predators, we see it with when the wolves move in. And then um, I see it in a lot of different ranges, too, where those elk will outcompete the deer for the food source. I mean, there's some ranges out there that are great elk hunting and great deer hunting, but usually it's one or the other. Uh, those elk will just yeah. outcompete those deer for that food source. And where I find muleys a lot of times where I find both deer and elk is where – uh, the deer have like a, uh, a specific uh, niche in the mountain range. So like elk need water every day. And so they kind of hang in the lower basins and then the mule deer can get a lot of their water from their food source. And so they can actually live up higher than the elk can and live on the grass tops of the mountain range. And so that's where I'll see both species really thrive. But yeah, I see that same thing here in Montana. In fact, in my home range, um, you know, we have uh, really good genetics, and they've killed some big deer over the years. And I'll find old dead bucks, you know, that are 10 years old that are uh, giant ones with mass and stickers and kickers. But as far now, our elk population is so high in this area that the mule deer are really few and far between. Like, there are some good areas, and you, you know, there's a good one killed every year, but it's really tough to put your thumb on it and be able to target these big bucks in this range because there just aren't as many of them as those elk outcompete that food source so yeah that's definitely um uh, i definitely see that in the areas i hunt as well and so those roosevelts will move those deer out uh so it's almost like an exploding elk population isn't good for the for the blacktail hunting and you seem to be like a blacktail guy so that's got to be kind of tough right Oh, it is. It's, I love seeing animals, but when you see a lot of elk in an area, you're like, dang, <laughs> there's, there's going to be a lack of deer. But, and that's the bad part about California is they don't give out very many tags. I mean, there's the elk populations is just exploding in Northwestern California in the tag numbers. I think they give out uh, for during the rut. I, I believe in one, in one zone, they would call it the 30 tags. And there's, I mean, you see, Opening day a couple of years ago, we went. We saw like 19 bulls in one day, and it's just like they don't give out as many tags. That's for sure. The California doesn't do the greatest on uh, how they manage their their animals. You could say the least. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
every state's a bit different for sure and um some states do a better yeah. job than others but um yeah that's uh that's it so so when you're running these ridge lines and you're hunting these blacktails it seems like you're covering a bunch of terrain like so you're in great shape and you you mentioned miles a couple times it sounds like you're putting on a ton of mountain miles you're getting on these ridge lines and then hiking these ridge lines and then um are you like still hunting them like really looking off the ridge lines moving slow or are you kind of covering country and then every opening you're glassing into or like what is your approach running these ridge lines and will you hunt them throughout the day or do you focus mornings and evenings and take the middle of the day off or what's like a typical day of hunting these blacktails look like for you? Yeah. So like in the, in the mornings, you're always glassing and uh, you're glassing the basins, you're glassing the orange tops, you're glassing, you know, any open areas, what that look like they have food. Um, food source is key, man. It's like, it's because some of these burns, they burn so hot that there's no nutrients in the dirt. I mean, you can walk through there and it's just like powder. So in the mornings and evenings, you're really looking, you're glassing a lot of the, the higher grassy basins. Um, midday, when you run ridges, you, for me, I try to go along the sunny side of the ridge and peek over to the shady side of the ridge mm. and just look for those bedded bucks. And um, it's worked a lot. Uh, that's a good good way to hunt it. And a lot of people don't do that. And I don't know why, <laughs> but uh, you, you see most people in the middle of the day, just, you know, back at camp, but... Yeah, you just run the ridges, um, look on the the shady sides, and then it's a it's a full day of hunting. It really is. And um, but those deer, they're they'll drive you crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, yeah, what a great tactic, and it's it's like fruitful when you find one. But I bet you could go all day and not find a bedded buck. Is why guys don't do it. Like you have to keep the belief that you're gonna run into one, and so. Uh, yeah, that makes good sense. I like what you said, like running the sunny side, and then you're just peeking over the shady side, so you're not exposing yourself or hiking or giving these chance these deer a chance to see you. And and it's surprising, even when you're hunting, like I don't know how far you're glassing for these bedded bucks, probably as far as you can see, all the way to up close 100 yards just off the backside of the, uh, the shady ridges. Uh, but it's amazing, like even when you're hunting close like that or still hunting – it's still all about glassing. Like you still have to glass and try to pick up that antler, that ear, that body. Like the game is to see them before they see you. And so you have to like expose yourself over these ridge lines. And then like you do want to glass what's right in front of you inside a hundred yards, picking it apart. And it's surprising like how many times you don't see them with the naked eye. And all of a sudden you pan it with the binos and pick out a buck. That's kind of how like I would envision it would happen happen for you like hunting those shady sides oh yeah absolutely and that's exactly what it is and and you you wouldn't believe how many bucks you see up close i'm, I'm talking less than 100 yards and uh oh wow and an, another thing during the full moon it's during the full moon i know a lot of hunters they they don't hunt during the middle of the day but a full moon man that that 11 o'clock to one o'clock or 10 o'clock to two o'clock type area those deer move you know they might not move a lot and you might not find giants that time, but the, you can find some good bucks in the middle of the day. Um, I remember walking down a ridge top, going to a glassing area or going back to camp actually is what we were doing. It, you know, seven bucks are standing there and it's noon. So you just never know. And um, that's another thing about blacktail. They're, they're really unpredictable in a lot of different ways. I, I know guys that have taken tree stands back in the back country and hunted them like that over water. And um, it, I'm not one for that just because of the fact that those blacktail, they don't need water as much as you would think. And um, even though it is hot and it is dry out there, these, they get them, they get that water from a lot of different sources than, than an actual seep or, or water source, you could say. Yeah, that's the same thing with some of these muleys. Even in extremely dry terrain, uh, you know, it, uh, they just don't go to water every day, you know. And even, um, you know, I do focus more on the water sources. I get down in some of that desert terrain in Arizona and New Mexico and things. Like, I find that they go to the water source uh, more that time of year. But they still might not go to it every day. But what I find is that the populations are around the water source. So if I can find, you know, feeder troughs or feeder tanks or uh you know i'll walk around those and look for tracks and where i see tracks then i'll 
all set up and grab a vantage point and then there's like a population of deer living within a mile of those tanks or whatever where if i just drive around the desert and i stop and i don't know where water is uh, it can be void of all game and it's tough to even find a deer so like i focus more on the water source there but i remember like hunting um the high country of nevada super dry range and there's no water on top and there is deer all over the top of that mountain. Like, I can't find a seep up there. I can't find water. They definitely don't come down every day, about maybe every three or four days or so. Uh, but there's bucks that live all over the top of that mountain range. And so, yeah, I, I think you're right. These deer are way better at getting their water, uh, you know, from their feed, from the dew in the grass and things of that nature, where they just don't need to drink much. And uh, yeah, sitting water is really tough for me. I don't know if I don't have the patience for it. Some of those guys that do it are really good at it and know that those deer, those elk are going to drink and then, um, you know, really sit in those water sources. And it, it is a way to be low impact on an area. You're not going to spook much out of there unless your wind gets bad. And so like, it is a good approach to hunting them, but I'm the same. I don't know if my patience doesn't allow it or uh, it just hasn't paid off for me, but, uh, yeah, I'm the same way. I don't sit water very often. No, I'm not good at it. I I am way too high strung for that. I gotta be moving. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, it's um, it well, one thing about uh, northwestern uh, California is there's a, there's a lot of water up there, and um, the closer you get to the coast, so that the you get that coastal influence and the fog and stuff, and they can get water off anything, and um, so sitting water just isn't the thing for me. I'm not saying that it doesn't work, but it's just not for me, you know. Um, another thing that a lot of people do is sit trails and, um, the biggest buck I've, I found in the wilderness and I actually killed is that's how I found him was I saw his track on a trail and, um, I actually bumped him a week before the season. And, um, when I went back to hunt him opening day, um, I actually sat the trail and killed him 1130. He came walking up the same trail I bumped him on. And that's, I, I just got lucky on that one because usually you bump a black tail, he's not going to come back. He really isn't. And if you're in their area, they know, and they're not going to, they're not going to tolerate it at all. And uh, I just flipped a coin on that one. I got lucky. That's for sure. <laughs> well, sometimes we make the right call and it works out. You know, it's almost like it's meant to be. Yeah. Same thing for muleys too, is I look for big tracks. And if there's a big track in the area, like you mentioned it earlier, that when you find a big track that that black tail is living in that area. So uh, they must have like a fairly small home range that they like, and I'm sure all deer are different, but I know with those mule deer, when I find a four inch long track, like that is a big mature buck that's five years old or older, and that's like an area that I need to focus on and put my glass on and see if I can turn up that buck, and it it sounds the same when you're hunting blacktails, like paying attention to those, to those big tracks that that means that there's big deer in that area and some place that you should put more effort like there's there's these clues that these big deer will leave you you know or these big mature ones will leave you and uh, I think paying attention to those signs and then I also love what you said about like hunting the middle of the day um you know it's like you don't see at least for me hunting middle of the day I don't see as many deer and I have a tough time ruling out country in the middle of the day like if I'm looking at a money basin uh, and I'm looking at it in the middle of the day and I don't pick out a buck, even though I spent an hour or two looking at it, I still can't rule that out until I look at it in the morning or night. But you're right in that animals get up and move throughout the day and middle of the day. If you continue to hunt, continue to grab vantage points, it can be highly effective as those deer tend to get up every hour and a half, two hours, especially when you find a big buck and you're sitting there watching them. You get to watch his behavior, and those deer get up and feed throughout the day. They just kind of feed in tighter cover, tighter spots. They don't expose themselves as much, but they do get up and feed around and then re-bed. They change beds to try to find shadier country, and and I would just imagine that those blacktails are really similar. And so the guys like you that really put full effort and hunt through that middle of the day, it'd be so advantageous, I would think, of turning up a big buck either in his bed or feeding around or up on his feet um and also the moon phases now i have to say that um it's a, a like a 
I know there's something to the moon phases and the whitetail hunters, and now hearing you talk about the moon phases and blacktails, like there is something to it. And I know guys will plan their whole vacation on the moon phase as far as the elk rut, and, and I get it, right? A full moon is bright, and so the animals can feed more at night, which means they're more active during the day. And then the adverse, you know, when it's uh, 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 a a no moon that that those animals and i think you know there's a lot of different factors that can play into it like overcast or storms even during a full moon is going to make it dark uh, but you really see a correlation with that moon phases and then seeing blacktails on their feet during daylight hours huh yeah i really do honestly yeah. it's a it's a big it's a difference breaker when you're when you're hunting if you got that full moon you just you, that middle of the day could be awesome it really can be and um, one of the things i want to get back to you said when you see a four inch track on a mule deer on a blacktail, we're talking two and a half inches, three inches. <laughs> <laughs> they these, have small feet. Huh? Oh yeah, they do. And, and one of the biggest things I see, like when you, to differentiate a, a buck with a doe with, with me, what I found is the whip. Like you get a short and stocky little track and they go, oh, okay, that might be something to look for. Don't get me wrong. We see, we find some big footed, but a blacktail, but yeah, two and a half, three inches is a, is a big, big black tail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah, it's a bit different. Okay, so the width of the track. Yeah, there's um. That's what we go off of. There's such a skill and an art to tracking, isn't there? Like there's all these facets of hunting that make you better. Like for a lot of years, I just wasn't paying atten- enough attention to the sign. Like sure, I see deer tracks and I see which direction they're headed and that tells me there's animals in the area. But as I dial into that more, as I get older and pay more attention to the tracking and the sign, uh, it, you know, it really is a roadmap of what's in that, that area. It really does tell you like the type of critters that are in there and so yeah i've just been trying to pay attention more and definitely in that desert train like around that water walking washes and things and it's like where you find a track is where you're gonna glass up a buck um another thing i look for uh in a track uh is the the weight of the track and so whether it's in clay or mud or dirt or snow uh what's that called like on the the back of the foot that digs in like that back foot there's like the dew claw claw. yeah yeah i see that dew claw imprint on the bucks where i don't see it on the does and so when you see like a big heavy deep track in the mud and see those dew claws like i can tell that that's a buck track versus a doe track is that the same with blacktails yeah unless it's running yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, you're right the weight of those the weight of those blacktails, it'll push those dew claws down and you can kind of tell. Yeah, yeah, I notice that as I'm hunting muleys. It's like if I can see those dew claws. And I also like what you said about the width of the track. You're right, as those doe tracks are more narrow and skinny, like just the uh, the two feet or I don't know what you'd call it, but the, you know, the the two of the hoof, um, they're like they're like skinnier where the bucks are like wider and fatter. So I can definitely see that what you're talking about with those blacktail tracks. Yeah. Yeah. That just kind of gives us kind of gives us an idea of what's in the area, obviously, but yeah, you can, you can tell they're a lot less slender, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, dude, it sounds like you got like an, like an awesome spot to hunt them. I'd like really appreciate you coming on and sharing like what you love with those blacktails, man. It's so fun to hear about. And it is like, back to my roots of that western washington i've got to plan a trip and it's it's really cool like the like a lot of the experience of hunting these animals is the habitat they live in and when you're hunting them in such cool gnarly habitat that you're hunting them in and those burns and those big wildernesses man that has to just be an awesome experience and then you know you probably run in circles that love to hunt these blacktails right your buddies and things and so you guys can visit about it and learn from each other and then also team up and it sounds like you hunt with your dad also quite a bit which is so important right to get out with our dads and spend that quality time oh yeah yeah it's uh it's uh it's fun hunting with him he's my he's my biggest fan when it comes to when it comes to blacktail hunting that's for sure and he's the person i call when i when i really need a back backbreaking adventure last year i killed my bull in a i wasn't very far from a road i was only about i think i was a little over a mile and three quarters from a road as the crow flies in a, I got my elk all cut up and I called him. I was like, Hey, uh, I'm going to need your help. Cause I didn't want anybody to know where I was. And, uh, <laughs> he drove, you know, a couple hours and helped me out. So it was, it's a fun, it's always a fun adventure when he comes around too. 
Man, that is so cool. Like, uh, your dad must be fairly young and really fit, huh? 65, but, but fit. He, okay. he still gets after it. Man, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's see. My dad's, uh, 60, 63. So right around that same age and can still do everything he wants to do and keeps himself in really good shape. Like, it's amazing how long, you know, the body adapts to the stress you put on it. And these hardworking fathers that we have that have grinded their whole life and keep themselves fit, uh, you know, you can really, do everything you want to do well into your older age. And like our dads are just the perfect example of that, right? Your dad, like a mile and three quarters as the crow flies, you know, is more like about four miles of packing and it's a heavy bowl. So I'm sure you guys had to take two trips. It was a heck of a bowl, by the way, congratulations. But how awesome that you can count on your, on your dad like that, man, to come in and do it. Um, yeah. And it sounds like he's just a wealth of knowledge about those blacktails has probably hunted them his whole life. Huh? He's actually, you know, he didn't, he really didn't get into hunting the blacktails like I did. He, uh, he got me into hunting the more, more muley side. So we got, so if you got I-5, it kind of cuts the state in half, obviously. And the left side of I-5, it starts getting, or I should say the white west side of I-5, it starts getting that steep and rugged. And then you got the east side of I-5 where it starts getting more mule, mule deer. And, um, he hunted that most of his life and, um, just growing up, he's he always told me, he's like, man, you gotta gotta get away from these roads. You gotta get back in that backcountry, and that's that's how he got me into it. And uh, yeah, he he pushed me to do that, and I'm, I'm super glad he did. That's for sure, because it, it made for amazing experiences. And he uh, he's he strapped the boots on too with me a few times and, and did some packs. That's for sure. He was uh, I think he was sixty. He was 61 or 62, and he did, I think he did like 17 miles with me in one day. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've taken my dad on some adventures as well. <laughs> like, uh, and he's just built for endurance. Like, man, he just doesn't stop, and he's got an iron mind. Like, you can't, he's just, um, uh, he's kept that up his whole life, and man, that guy can just hike and go like nobody else, you know, which is which is awesome. And he also taught me the love of hunting and love of hunting the backcountry. I think it's equally important uh, to get our kids out and give them these quality experiences, but also to get out with our elders. It seems like as guys start getting older, they start losing the drive to get out and find these adventures and start taking it easier. And uh, I think it's up to us sons to like get our dads out and show them these amazing ventures, whether it's, you know, my dad getting them out fishing or um, he loves hunting uh, mule deer with his rifle and, and and loves hunting elk as well. Uh, but, you know, I, I just have to continually make the effort to make sure that we have adventures together every year. Because we don't know how many years we have left. And um, our fathers and, and um, uncles and things, they mean so much to us. And, um, you know, I think you can keep really active and really fit and enjoy what we love to do well into your 60s and even 70s if you keep it up and um, keep active, which is one of the beautiful things about the – the sport or the the passion that we have for hunting but i do think that um it's just as big a priority to get uh our fathers out and take them hunting and show them the adventure and and sometimes you know as they get older we have to cater these a little bit towards them like my dad he can still go and he can still do anything he wants to do but he doesn't quite enjoy following me into the middle of the wilderness anymore for me pushing my <laughs> my limits you know it's like more for him he wants to do a truck camp where we can you know have a steak at night or have a decent dinner and then hunt hard throughout the day like um hunt hard and cover miles and definitely uh, try to kill a nice buck but you know he just seems to enjoy that hunt a little bit more than he does the middle of the wilderness and that's fine and so you know like I've got to cater these hunts that I know he'll enjoy like hey I got this elk hunt and we're gonna ro- we're gonna truck camp and then we'll hunt hard throughout the day and it's one of those deals where you can hunt as hard as you want to you can hunt a mile or you can hunt 20 miles you know and he really enjoys those hunts and so I have to make it a point to get him out and you know even if I have buddies going or whatever the case is, it's like, hey, dad, come join us. Come join us for this hunt. And, you know, and then, you know, he always gets along with my buddies and always has fun. But, man, we just got to keep putting effort into getting these guys out for adventures, don't we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he's one of my best friends. So it's it's easy for me to, you know, tag along with him on a hunt as well. And uh, 
Yeah, I think he's getting to the point where if I ask him to go backcountry hunt, he kind of thinks twice about it. <laughs> Some <laughs> of the things we go do. <laughs> I, I, may have, I may have fibbed a couple times and told him a couple areas weren't as far as they really were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well uh... – yeah, it's uh, uh, also we know what they're capable of, and sometimes uh, we gotta convince him, you know. And I don't know if it's an out- outright lie or an exaggeration, or oh, it's not too bad, you know. Gosh, you'll you'll do it no problem, you know. It's like one of those cases where uh, you know where you're making the hike, and you you always say you're almost there, whether you're at the start or at the end. But yeah, good for you, man. That's exactly. uh, that's awesome. You got such a great relationship with your dad. I think um, I think that's so important in today's day and age, and I'm the same way as i i talk to my dad every day and um yeah you know one of my best friends as well and uh it's really oh, fun absolutely. to have that relationship and connection with him so yeah just got to continue to get him out on these big adventures yeah and i think his adventure nowadays is bass fishing with me so he loves that so that's oh, cool. kind of taking place of, of backcountry hunting yeah, yeah. Same for me. My dad, um, you know, I still get him out on a couple hunts a year, but he doesn't like going on all the crazy stuff I do. But I do get him on some crazy adventures like fly fishing around here, these different rivers, and uh, we'll float these different rivers and um, and go fishing. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm constantly pushing his comfort level, whether it's a long float <laughs> and we're getting off late or we're going uh, far to go fish another river or, you know, sometimes it's exploring these systems, you know, where we don't know what we're going to get into. To. Like last year, you know, logs across the river, we're having to lift the drift boat over, but it, it's all in good fun and he loves it. So, yeah, same with me. I spend a lot of time fishing with my dad as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, he'll get out with me a few times and I'm sure he'll go. I mean, he obviously he still goes with me when I'm uh, not really bonsai in anywhere, which is good. I mean, it's going to keep him young for as long as I possibly can. Man, that's it. It keeps them young. It's like a activity is key, right? So a lot of these guys that retire and then don't do anything or sit and watch TV, you know, they don't live too much longer after that. And it's not, you know, it's for me, it's not how long I live. It's like, how long can I keep enjoying the things I love to do, you know? And, and the yeah. answer to that is, is there's, you know, there's really no limit. Like my grandpa passed. He just built that generation different. He passed about a year ago or so. And, uh, gosh, I can't remember if he was early 90s or late 80s. Uh, you know, but he still was blacktail deer hunting um, the year prior than than what he passed. And his hunting has changed a lot. It's a lot of a vehicle and driving around, but he's still getting out and still enjoying it. And I remember in his 70s that my grandma busted her ankle on a hike above our cabin. And he packed my grandma all the way out of the mountains at 70 years old with a broken ankle. Like we are able to do way more than we give ourselves credit for. And I think like that's the goal is we we as we age is to keep active and our body will adapt to the stress that we put on it you know so to make sure that we're walking every day or hiking or making sure that we're getting that exercise making sure that we're not getting too heavy and keeping the right nutrition just to be able to enjoy the things we love to do for as long as we can enjoy them and hopefully you know one of these days I will be the old man that my that my kids are dragging me along you know so that's that's kind of the goal moving forward uh but yeah activity is just so key isn't it oh absolutely and he's he stays active every day after work he goes for i think like a three mile walk with the dogs so he stays and it's not flat you know so he stays active so he can still if i get in a pinch i could still call him to come help me pack something out good for him yeah it's um that's a real man like they uh these generations uh, not that we're weak individuals, but if you're looking at the whole generation, the generations before us, they just built them tough, man. They just built that mental tough. They didn't have the gear that we did. Like I look at my grandpa, my dad hunting in jeans and a flannel in soaking wet Western Washington downpours, you know, it's just crazy. Those guys were built tough. They were men, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for dang sure, yeah. Well, um, Jason, you're the man. Dude, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your love for blacktails and your love for hunting. You're an absolute wealth of knowledge, man. you got to come on and join me again. And congratulations on last season, the uh, the elk and, and blacktail. And then I've also seen some muleys on your feed. You get after it, man. And so uh, really happy to have you on the podcast and, and uh, share this with the audience. Yeah, thank you very much. Let, thank you very much for letting me come on. And I've, I've followed you for a really long time, and I, I try to model your hunting, that's for sure. 
Man, well, uh, you're doing a good job of that or beating me to the punch. You're, um, you're killing some good critters. <laughs> I don't know about so, that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you. We'll keep in touch. Yeah. Yeah, cool. thank you very much. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, super fun conversation with Jason. I really enjoyed that one. Just a super solid guy and um, a great Western hunter. And so it's fun to hear about some of those opportunities for blacktails. So uh, it's over the counter, which would be a great opportunity if you don't draw a tag or even a hunt to plan on, as it sounds like it's lower hunting pressure and um, some good hunting for those things. So yeah, uh, fun conversation. Thanks again for Jason coming on and um, being so willing to share information and his passion and love for blacktails. Uh, also want to thank Eastman's for their support of the podcast. You can check out the Mule Deer course. Again, that promo code is BrianMDC. Uh, that'll save you 10%. We got the promo code Brian for Eastman's Tag Hub. Uh, that'll get you a free subscription to um, to uh, Mountain Tough Fitness. And uh, promo code for Black Ovis is um, uh, Elevated 10. That'll save you 10% off there. So um, those are your promo codes. I also want to thank Savage. I uh, want to thank Method Archery. Uh, Method Archery just, um, man, built me some great arrows in short order to get me ready for this Australia trip. So uh, super pumped on that. And, um, man, it's nice to be home. Nice to be back to it here. Uh, got some some big plans for the podcast, so I'm going to keep working away on that. And uh, keep getting you guys good recordings here as we lead into season. So hopefully we can all be successful. Uh, hopefully the tag gods are with me. I got a couple more states to apply for here. And um, hopefully can draw some decent tags and get lucky here in the draws. And um, likewise, hopefully you guys are planning your trips and uh, planning out your year and have some good adventures ahead. So um, really pumped to share this Australian adventure with you. I'll sit down and record a podcast here and we'll get that out to you guys. And, um, I'll be sharing, uh, uh, on social media here through, uh, stories and posts and reels and things here for the next week or so. So you can be on the lookout for that as well. And, um, man, it's just fun to get out bow hunting again and, um, be chasing critters around. It's like where I feel at home. Uh, so yeah, I couldn't be more excited to get training for this fall and, um, spring bear is open now. I know I talked to my buddy Dan, um, Heverin today and, uh, he's getting excited to get out, chase these things around. So I got some early spots. I'll kind of get my life back in order here and, um, get some work done and then, um, be out chasing those things around. But, uh, yeah, it's just amazing. Uh, it gives me a whole new perspective traveling over there, and uh, I'll get into it on this solo podcast, but just perspective on everything, um, appreciation for where we live and opportunities we have, and um, appreciation for good friends and buddies that really went out of their way to show me a good time out there, so I'm very thankful for that. And uh, it was a nice break, nice break from work, and um, it's a good break from the podcast. You know, we've had this podcast going seven or eight years now. I've never missed a week, uh, but it was good to have a couple weeks where I uh, just didn't have to think about it. I knew podcasts were loaded up for you guys and ready to go, and I uh, had a few recorded for when I get back. So, um, man, it was nice to uh, get away from it. And sometimes getting away gives us such perspective, you know, to look over our lives and to look over the podcast and, and just to really think how I can make it better and be better and um, find enjoyment in everything that I do and in life and be better for my family. And so, man, it's just been great. So back at it here. Thanks, you guys, as always, for the support. I really appreciate it. And um, with that, I'll check in with you next week. <laughs>